From the world-famous city of New Orleans, it's the Black and Blue Report. Starring Sean Kelly, producer Dan, D-Dub in the Black and Blue Orchestra, and the Benchwarmers. Today's special guests include the New Orleans Saints, the New Orleans Pelicans, and whoever else we could get to stop by. Online and worldwide, it's the Black and Blue Report. Live, sort of, from Studio B, here's Sean Kelly. How goes it? Uh, I kind of know how it goes. Eh? Kind of a blue Monday, huh, gang? Welcome into the Black and Blue Report on this Monday. The football season, unfortunately, is over. Boy, it was a tough watch on Saturday as the uh, Saints uh, saw their season end at Seattle with a playoff loss to the Seahawks 23-13. And those Pelicans aren't doing so well either. They've lost now five straight. Injuries continue to be a problem, but we shall forge ahead here on the Black and Blue Report. We'll cover both sides here on this Monday and trying to set this week right and perhaps... Maybe tonight a new homestand for the Pelicans gets us all feeling in a good mood as they would be able to upset the San Antonio Spurs. Hey, you never know. John DeShazer's at the other microphone, actually on the telephone microphone, if you know what I mean. Uh, John, fresh back from Seattle. Have you recovered from uh, your West Coast trip yet? Well, not quite, but, uh, you know, we forge ahead. That's what we do. You know, we're soldiers, man. Did you you find the weather this morning fitting for the mood? You know what, man? I, I I can't catch a break, man. It, it, I don't know if it's just me. Everywhere I've been lately, it's either been cold or raining or both or snow. I just can't catch a break. Where's this? When's the sun going to break back out? I'm I'm tired of this. I think the sun's supposed to come out this week, but then it's supposed to be cold again. Well, you missed so a beautiful day yesterday. I mean, everywhere I go, I'm dragging bad weather with me, man. I'm tired of this. I understand. Um, does the fact that the uh, loss was on Saturday uh, affect this Monday a little bit? You know, usually. We're still stinging less than 24 hours from the football game. We've actually had a day to decompress a little bit. Um, so I can't tell if, if people have started to move ahead or if they're still stuck in the funk that we had on Saturday night. No, I, I think they've absolutely kind of moved ahead. I mean, they're, a, you know, they're the, the diehards, I guess, who, who live it and breathe it and every day it, and they're probably still a little wounded. But I think after a day of reflection and seeing some other teams you know, lose watching a little football, or just having it having it soak in a little bit. I think they got the impression that, you know, all things considered, you know, going from seven and nine last year to, to twelve and six this year, from nine playoffs last year to a playoff win, the first playoff win ever on the road, and and then, you know, an opportunity to get to the NFC championship game. I think, you know, fans realize all things considered, you know, it was a lot better than certainly it could have been. Now it wasn't as good as it is as everyone wanted it to be. You know, there were some opportunities during the season for the Saints to get the number one or number two seed and to host a playoff game. You know, it just didn't work out that way. You know, they had some struggles down the stretch, went three and five on the road during the regular season. That pretty much cost them the number one or two seed uh, in the playoffs. But again, you know, if you if you put it all together and patch it all together and glue it together and and look at the entire picture, then it certainly wasn't as bad as 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 it might have seemed at the end. That's John DeShazer. He's with me on the Black and Blue Report today. So is Steve Weish from the NFL Network. He's going to help us break down the weekend that was in the NFL. And then on the Pelicans' side, we're going to go one-on-one today with Darius Miller, who's coming off of his best ball game yet this season uh, for his efforts uh, at Dallas on Saturday night. And a little bit later, we'll also um, check in with Anthony Davis, who spoke to the media after shoot-around this morning, again, as the Pelicans get ready for the Spurs tonight and three straight at home 
this week. Um, so as we uh, kind of launch into uh, our conversation, uh, John, let me uh, play for uh, listeners a little bit of what Sean Payton had to say following the loss to uh, Seattle on Saturday night. Sean Payton uh, here on um, what transpired on Saturday. I'd like to give credit to Seattle for uh, obviously a good win. It was a hard-fought game. It's disappointing. You know, we kind of planned on playing it uh, obviously a little differently, and you know, we just weren't at the end. At the end of it, we just weren't able to make enough plays. The one turnover, with regards to the first half fumble, resulted in points. Um, we thought it was going to be a field position game, especially with the the early weather. And then, as I think, as the game went on, that became a little less of a factor from a win standpoint. But you know, I'm proud of the way our guys competed. Uh, you know, we weren't able to get it done, and you know, we kind of go from here. So it's tough. It's always tough when you uh, when you get this far, and and then you're not able to finish. All right. So that was Coach Payton, uh, John, after the loss to Seattle on Saturday. What was the mood like um, as you were right there at the at the post game press conferences on Saturday? Well, disappointed disappointment, obviously. Um, you know, playing Seattle in Seattle was a game that these guys wanted. You know from the time that they lost 34-7 in Seattle on December 2nd. So they wanted a return trip there for the playoffs. They wanted to show the world that they could play better under adverse conditions against a very, very good good team, certainly a great defensive team. And uh, But to come up short, you know, even though it was on the road, they came up short, they were disappointed. But, I mean, again, you know, those guys, when they when they kind of looked at it in the harsh light of reality, no, you didn't get to the Super Bowl. You didn't advance to the NFC Championship game. You fell short of your goals, and yet, there was, you know, a lot of positives that went along with advancing to the divisional playoff round. You know, the young guys who were able to get in and contribute throughout the season and, and, and to see what happened with this team. Now, certainly there are going to be some difficult decisions to make during the offseason salary cap-wise with some veteran players, but, you know, they've had some young guys who stepped into some roles who seem to be ready to pick up and carry on if they have to let go of some of the veteran leaders. and. And so, you know, there was, you know, discouragement, but there was certainly encouragement at the same time. The game itself, Seattle's defense pitches a shutout for the better part of the game, holding a Saints offense scoreless through three. Uh, Saints also were three of 12 third down efficiency. Here's Coach Payton on Seattle's defense on Saturday. One of the things they do a very good job with is they don't do a lot. You know, they play a lot of single safety zone. They kind of keep the ball in front of them. They're very patient, and they force you to be patient. So, you know, I thought... The thing, and I'll have to go back and watch the film, I thought we were able to move it in spurts, especially in the running game, and yet then there'd be something to keep us uh, from taking advantage of that middle field yardage. And uh, so we'll look at the film, but they're a tough defense. They have been all season long, and, uh, you know, it's just they force you to, to really be patient with regards to what you're doing both in the run and pass. John, were you surprised about New Orleans offense, even in the adverse conditions? that they just weren't able to put points on the board, and I know that a, a missed field goal or two plays into that, but um, certainly that was the surprise to me. I thought I thought after what they experienced up there in early December that this offense would click a little better up there in Seattle. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't necessarily think they'd score, you know, you know, a great amount, but, yeah, I did think they'd score, and certainly, you know, you just mentioned the missed field goal didn't help the cause. Uh, Shane Graham missed his first field goal in the Saints uniform. They had made six straight before he missed the, the two on, on Saturday. But, yeah, I thought they'd have an opportunity to score, especially the way Seattle defends. Now, Seattle is an extremely physical team in the secondary, led the NFL with 28 interceptions, led the NFL with 39 takeaways total. 
and they're a team that you know they get after you. They do some you know some grabbing and and, and some pushing around, and then they play extremely physical. But you know the the price to pay with that is if you know if you can get them you know get get something on them. Generally, you're in a lot of one on one matchups, and you might be able to pop something loose. Saints weren't able to do that. Had some had some golden opportunities, and just couldn't score once they got in the scoring zone. And so, yeah, that that surprised me a bit that they weren't able to, you know, either either get punching in for touchdowns or even convert field goals. And and certainly, you know, Saturday's conditions, you know, windy rain and all that good stuff weren't conducive to kicking field goals all that great. Although, you know, you have to give Seattle credit; they made three. <laughs> but yeah. unfortunately for the Saints, they didn't make any. But yeah, I thought they'd be able to to punch a couple more in the in the end zone, or at least score earlier to make it a little bit more competitive. And and, and the game was. You know, pretty competitive early on, and then Seattle ends up getting the fumble recovery from Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram, I think he, I think that was just the second loss fumble of his NFL career. So something that generally doesn't happen, but it happened at the worst possible time for the Saints offense and for the Saints defense. And for the most part, the Saints defense was pretty good on the field, allow you know held Seattle to you know I think 277 yards or something like that. Russell Wilson only threw for 100. And, Eight yards or somewhere in that vicinity, his career low. I think actually it was 103 yards, his career low. And so they did some great things defensively, but they just couldn't hold, you know, the entire game. You can't hold the team out forever, especially when you when they have the short field on you. Yeah, you mentioned Russell Wilson, just nine completions on the day. Marshawn Lynch was pretty good, 140 yards rushing, two touchdowns. You know that Saints offense did battle though. They scored a, a, a flurry of points there in the fourth, 15 of them in the fourth quarter. But uh, quarterback Drew Brees talked after the game about those missed opportunities. Well, obviously we played a lot better today than we did then. You know, still ended up on the the losing side of the turnover ratio, which you know resulted in seven points for them that week, and it resulted seven points today for them. Which obviously uh, this game was much closer, and, and that becomes a big difference. But um, you know, then you say, hey, the field goal opportunities. Um, and then, uh, you know, two others that, man, we were just on the outskirts of having an opportunity to kick a field goal. And, man, every little, every little bit of points matters, you know, because then it changes the, the mindset and the outlook on, you know, their last drive there where they end up going down and getting a touchdown. But, you know, it's an eight-point game at that time. Now, if it's a five-point game, then maybe that changes some things. So, obviously, you don't know how things in the second quarter, third quarter would have changed you know the mindset what having the fourth quarter but certainly you know if it's less than a one possession game if a touchdown wins it for you versus touchdown and a two-point conversion then you know i think the mindset's different so that's john uh, that's drew Brees and john DeShazers with me i'm sean kelly welcome back to the uh, black and blue reports as we will uh, continue ahead with our conversation about the saints and the weekend in the nfl here shortly still to come steve weiss of the nfl network darius miller of the pelicans anthony davis too don't you go anywhere The Pelicans Valentine's three-game flex pack presented by Woodhouse Day Spa is a great gift for the basketball lover in your life. This limited-time offer includes two tickets to any three games of your choice on the Pelicans schedule, including matchups against the Clippers, Thunder, and Heat. Packages start as low as $54, plus the first 200 packs purchased will include a $25 gift card to Woodhouse Day Spa. So call 504-525-HOOP or visit pelicans.com to get your Valentine's three-game flex pack today. 
Are you ready for health care reform? At Blue Cross, we're ready to help. Learn all you can about health care reform at bcbsla.com slash reform. Here you'll find information on tax credits, health insurance options, answers to frequently asked questions, and a handy checklist to help you prepare. Visit us today at bcbsla.com slash reform and get ready. Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Louisiana is an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association and is incorporated as Louisiana Health Service and Indemnity Company. John Shazer's on the telephone. Sean Kelly here in our New Orleans Arena studios today for the Black and Blue Report. Our conversation continues about the Saints' end-of-season uh, playoff loss to the uh, Seattle Seahawks over the weekend. We'll have some hoop talk a little bit later on in the program. Uh, looking back now uh, on the season is in general, uh, Sean Payton will uh, speak to the media this afternoon at 1.30, but even after the game, uh, Coach was a bit reflective about how things went down. Uh, over the last six months. I was proud and am proud of, of how our guys fought and competed this year. You know, they found a way to win 12 games. Uh, obviously, uh, it wasn't enough for, for what we aspire to do. And there are a lot of, it's a young team, a lot of new faces. So we've got, you know, important offseason. We've got time. We'll have meetings on Monday and, you know, kind of begin our work towards improving and I thought they fought hard this year, and that's one of the things I told them. You know, uh, it's disappointing. It's disappointing to lose in a playoff game and, and so close to where, uh, you know, your final goal is. And yet, uh, you know, I thought there were a lot of good signs from a lot of good young players and veteran players too. John, I, John, I know there will be a lot of takeaways coming out of this uh, this week when you look back on the entire season. I, you know, I, I think that probably later on in the week or maybe even next week we ought to do a kind of a full-blown season and review type show but but for you here on this Monday what's your what's your biggest takeaway from the Saints season I think I think the thing that really really stood out was the Saints the way they performed defensively um, went from allowing a, a league record you know 7,000 plus yards last year 440 yards per game they shaved that down to about 306 yards per game this year and to me that was extremely significant because the Saints offense did not score as we're accustomed to a scoring. Now, they were top 10 in scoring offense, maybe top eight or so, but they weren't putting up the the yards and the points on the road as well as they did at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. So, you know, there were some games that, frankly, the the defense held out and won for the Saints in a, in a lot of different areas. And even when they were blowing teams down in, in the Superdome, you know, the, the, the opposition was only scoring 17 points per game, and that was huge coming from a defense that was allowing, you know, 20-plus points and, again, 440 yards per game last season. So I think the addition of Rob Ryan was, was a perfect fit at the perfect time. You heard players say all season long that he knew how to take advantage of their strength. He knew how to put them in positions where they could hide other players' you know, deficiencies. They were pretty good at plugging in guys, even though they had people who went down with injuries, so they survived a lot of attrition. And I think that was the major thing for the Saints this year, just the fact that the defense made such a huge jump in improvement. And I guess if there was another thing to stand out, it was that the offense just wasn't as prolific as we've come to know it to be. Now a lot of that is playing against teams that have kind of catered themselves and they've studied you and that's what they do in the NFL. They will figure out what you do well and they will begin to take away some of that. And the Saints have been so prolific for, you know, the majority of Sean Payton's seven years as head coach that we've just come to take it for granted that they're going to pile up 400 yards per game and that they're going to score, you know, 28, 30 points per game. 
And, but this is the NFL, and these guys, you know, they again, they figure out what you do, and they figure out ways to take it away. And they were able to do that, to, you know, to some degree with the Saints this season, especially on the road they were able to do it. And when the Saints weren't able to, you know, capitalize and they turned the ball over, uh, you know, too many times on the road and didn't have a, a great running game. But we did see in the playoffs where this team has some ingredients where they will be able to run. You'd like to think they could be able to run the ball in the future going forward. I mean, in the two playoff games they ran for, you know, a total of 293 yards. That's huge for a Saints team. That's, you know, basically – 100 and, 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 you know, 46 yards per game from an offense that was only averaging 92 rushing yards per game during the regular season. So that's a 50-yard improvement. Is that going to happen every game next season? Probably not because, you know, this is still a passing offense. But to show that you can do it in adverse conditions, on the road, now I believe the Saints have something that they feel that they'll be able to lean on in the future. But, yeah, if we want to go to the things that really stood out, I would say, you know, number one would be, the defensive improvement, and number two will be that the offense, you know, struggled at times, especially on the road during the season. Yeah, I, I think I'm in agreement with everything there. I, I, I'm especially happy to see the home record. I think it's so important in this league to to protect the home field. The Saints accomplished that goal. Look at the other teams still involved. Um, when you look at Seattle's home record, Denver's home record, uh, those home games become so, oh so precious. And if you're building a foundation for the future. Uh, which the Saints will continue to do, and, and we're talking about a playoff team here. I mean, we're not talking about some, you know, some, some uh, t- top of the trash heap football team that's got so much to build on. We're talking about an, a playoff team in the New Orleans Saints that took care of home this season at eight and zero, uh, and and John, as you mentioned, have a lot of building blocks. And and the other thing, you know, Teron Armstead, the way that he steps in late, and Kyrie Robinson, who we saw flashes of this. Back in the preseason, I know there was some sizzle around him early, and it was kind of deflected. But what he showed late in the season, um, these are these are good things. Uh, you know, and again, it, it stinks that, that the Saints aren't playing this weekend. But gosh, when you look back on the body of work, not so shabby, huh? And you nailed it on the head. I mean, you know, all due respect to Cleveland. You all, you know, you ever notice how you always say all due respect before you get ready to trash somebody? It's kind of <laughs> like bless. It's kind of like bless your heart. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. With all due respect to Cleveland, I would I would venture to say. The, the Saints, a 12-16 and 16 that just advanced you know, to the divisional round of the playoffs, have better and younger and more building blocks than a team like Cleveland that has, has been bad and has, had, you know, has been able to stockpile draft choices and those kinds of things. And, I mean, that bodes well for this franchise going ahead. They've done a great job of not only identifying guys with their picks, but the rookie free agent class, I think they ended up with six rookie free agents in this in this rookie class this year, is has been phenomenal. And then you end up with guys like you know finds like a Team Hicks who you know almost comes out of nowhere, and Junior Gillette who's only 25 who almost comes out of nowhere. You know you add all those pieces in, this team has a lot of young building blocks, and a lot of those guys played prominent roles this season. And if they progress as we suspect that they will, you know you can only say that the future is going to be bright. You and I both agree that the defensive steps taken were probably the top of the story uh, list here uh, to kind of back that up. Here's Malcolm Jenkins. I want to play back-to-back sound bites from him on Saturday talking about uh, what he was feeling about the season in general and, of course, his side of the ball, the defensive unit. You know, there's, there's a lot of positive things to take from and there's some negative, but I thought we handled the adversity that we, we had um, throughout the year pretty well. Uh, we started out fast. Um, we dealt with injuries, especially – um, in the secondary, and just kind of kept that moving all, all year, um, which is a positive. We, we dealt with a couple losses, uh, fought back, 
Um, same thing with a couple losses late and fighting back and getting ourselves into the playoffs. A big win on the road um, and just didn't make it, didn't make enough plays today. So, like you said, it's a lot of positives, um, a few negatives, but that's what every every season I thought we handled the adversity uh, pretty well as a team. Yeah, I think guys um, have a sense of pride in what we did uh, defensively this year, where we came from, how we played, and um, we really, instead of you know, kind of winning in spite of us, we, we won because of us this year. Um, and I think we were played a big part in, in most of our success. So, you know, we're looking forward to continuing that and, and just getting better in Rob's system, uh, continue to put in the pieces as far as players to, to run the scheme best, you know, and, and just try to improve. All right, again, that's Malcolm Jenkins uh, speaking on Saturday night uh, up in Seattle after the loss. All right, J.D., the next thing here is, uh, you know, the whole thing turns now to the business of professional football. And I don't want to uh, jump into this too much because this is a segment for us probably later this week and maybe even next week if you're uh, – if you're zero, zeroing on, in on the uh, Senior Bowl. But now all this attention turns back toward uh, Mickey Loomis and Sean Payton in uh, deciding what they want to do with the, uh, with the roster and a list of free agents at key spots. Uh, let me just ask you this, and we'll get into this more in depth uh, in a couple of shows. But uh, just, just think for a moment, John, the difference between last year at this time and this year at this time, as far as what lies ahead in the offseason for the New Orleans Saints? Yeah, I mean, you know, now there comes uh, some difficult economic decisions that have to be made. Again, you know, the good thing is there is an infusion of youth and a lot of young guys who play some prominent roles who will do so in the future. The bad news is, as you mentioned, here's the business of football, and that means that at some point, you know, the, the Saints are pressed against the salary cap, and, and they're going to have to make some difficult economic decisions, and they're going to probably have to part with some guys who were parts of some very successful teams around here in the past, probably, you know, guys who were members of the Super Bowl team who might be, you know, might be in line to either have to take a significant pay cut or maybe not be a part of the team in the future. And that's the difficult part of what goes on with, with the business of football. You know, the teams change every year, and unfortunately during that change, you have valued veterans who end up having to pay a price because they become, frankly, just too expensive to keep salary cap-wise, not salary-wise, but salary cap-wise because, you know, we know NFL teams you have to remain under that salary cap, and difficult decisions have to be made. I am looking forward to two things, John, the disappearance of two different conversations. One, the conversation about Sean Payton's return, um, because that's now just going to continue. Uh, and number two is all the uh, stuff about, well, what will it be like with Rob Ryan? What about a 3-4 defense and all that? Those two conversations dominated last spring and summer so badly that I will be delighted not to have those questions uh, thrown out there all the time. You know, and, and, and you know, to, to Coach Payton's credit or defense or whatever, Andrew Brees, they wanted to get that over early, and, and you know, folks just couldn't let go of it. But really, once you get past the initial part of it, you know, it is pretty much a done deal. Now it's all about getting on the field and winning the game. But certainly, you know, you look at Coach Payton and, and Rob Ryan and, and, you know, Coach Payton coming back from his year absence and Rob Ryan being added as defensive coordinator, and I don't think anybody in the world can say that coaching doesn't make a difference on the NFL level. It does. And it, it, you, if you can infuse confidence and you can lead men and you can guide them and you can get these guys to do 
what you want to do and trust in each other and trust in, in your system, then you can get a lot out of them. And I think we saw that this season with those two, those two coaches. And won't it be nice to have those guys in place even as early as this morning starting to put together and implement their offseason program as opposed to what had, yeah. had to happen last year? Yeah, because the beauty is now everybody, you know, has a taste of what's expected. Now, you know, you know Sean Payton. He's going to change things up somehow or another. It's not going to be exactly the same as it was last year because he will find a way to motivate a different way. He will find a way to tweak it, and he'll find something different and new to do. And Rob Ryan probably will too. But at least you understand these guys' character. You understand their personality. You understand which way the boat is headed. You know, it's not – you know, heading this way or that way and, you know, with different captains all over the place. You've got one guy at the helm, you know, exactly which way you're rowing, and everybody's rowing in the same direction. Get some rest, my friend, uh, because we have a basketball game to do tonight. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to come in with, you know, and, and I, I hate to say, I, should I bring a box of Band-Aids with me? Because it seems like everybody on the team's getting hurt. Hey, hey, hey. Okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> okay, all right. We're a little sensitive <laughs> over here at the arena right now. Um <laughs> Yes, good well, to have I will, you. I will bring some healing oils with me. That's maybe, I'll, maybe I'll rephrase that. Then. We'll take whatever we can get. I can tell you that. That's for sure. Uh, that's John DeShazer of NewOrleansSaints.com, also the Pelicans Radio Network. Uh, John, thanks for your thoughts here on this Monday morning. I'll see you at the arena tonight for Pelicans and the Spurs. Yeah, we're going to come and uh, yeah, we're gonna do a little something, although I, I looked up some numbers with the Spurs on back-to-backs, and they weren't all that encouraging. However, they have not faced the tells, baby. So that's right. We'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do. All right, my friend, we'll see you in a little bit. Coming up next year on the Black and Blue Report, Steve Weiss of the NFL Network. There were three other games this weekend, uh, so we better talk to him about how this all shakes out. We're down to a Final Four now in the NFL. We'll continue our conversation in just a moment here on the Black and Blue Report. Okay, you've just been told you have a serious heart issue, congestive heart failure, a valve problem, a complex rhythm disorder. Now what? At Auctioner, we suggest you take a moment and do some research. When you do, you'll find Auctioner Medical Center as the only heart program in the region ranked among the nation's best by U.S. News & World Report. We routinely treat the most complex cases with revolutionary procedures such as surgical and non-surgical valve replacements and the total artificial heart. And we have the largest, most comprehensive program for treating arrhythmias in the Gulf South, offering options not available elsewhere in the region. At the end of the day, the most important thing to hear is... I just saw your test results, and they look great. No problems. Leading Edge Care. Just one more reason to choose an Auctioner-affiliated physician. For an appointment, visit auctioner.org or call 1-866-AUCTIONER. That's O-C-H-S-N-E-R. Auctioner. Healthcare with peace of mind. Football conversation continues on this Monday edition of the Black and Blue Report. As we uh, as promised, we welcome in Steve Weish of the NFL Network. Steve, uh, greetings. Happy uh, happy Championship Monday to you. We've turned the page, and now we're down to four, aren't we? Yeah, we're down to four. I mean, it, uh, it was the physical kind of throwback weekend uh, when it comes to the styles the teams use to, to advance. A lot of tough, tough defensive running the ball, so... Very, very in- intriguing with the cold weather Super Bowl coming up. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, this really, uh, this will be fun. I, I think, as much as I, you know, groan and moan about not having the Saints still involved, I think the four right teams are involved here, and it sets up a big weekend. Well, let's let's talk about that in just a moment. But first, can, can we get the painful part out of the way here and and get your thoughts on on uh, Seattle and New Orleans from Saturday? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it came out to a situation where, you know, the, the Saints, it, you know, the, the physical factor, I mean, you can't deny it. I, I think the Saints' defense was fantastic in terms of holding Seattle's field goals at times. And in the second half, that, that defensive front really disrupted some things Seattle tried to do. But then, you know, Marshawn Lynch was just able to make, you know, to leak out, hit a couple big plays and a highly effective run. And the Saints' offense, I mean, that weather, I think, you know, clearly affected the passing game um, that Drew Brees tried to, you know, tried to execute and, and not be able to get Jimmy Graham involved or Darren Sproles. And, and that's, look, Seattle's one of the few teams in the NFL that has the personnel to physically match up with those two guys who tend to have matchup advantages week in and week out. So that's the tough part right there. I mean, the, the, the Saints, they, they fought valiantly. They just got in that 16-0 hole, and, and I think that really took them out of what they like to do. Missed opportunity is certainly a part of the game. But, Steve, when you look back, maybe and you were noticing that this as you were watching it live, uh, when you talk about Seattle's ability to, to take away Jimmy Graham to where even Darren Sproles wasn't a factor, there are a couple different things, but was it – was it personnel or was it scheme that allowed Seattle to take away something that the Saints had leaned on so hard all season long? Well, well one kind of goes to the other. Um, you know, I don't think Seattle did anything out of the ordinary. I mean, I'm sure they had a few wrinkles in there, but they're more reactionary wrinkles. You didn't see the blitz a lot or do anything magical to try to get to Drew Brees. I mean, Michael Bennett was highly disruptive. Um, you know, coming from that defensive tackle spot. You know, he's normally a defensive end. They moved him inside, kind of with that, that high-speed rush uh, defensive line play. But when it comes to Graham and Spoles, there's more personnel. I mean, linebackers like Bobby Wagner, you know, they can run with Darren Sproles. Um, you know, you saw New Orleans kind of counter, though, because of the weather. You know, they had to play Kyrie Robinson a lot. I mean, so when Sproles was in there, they kind of knew it was a passing situation. And, and they, they found ways scheme-wise, to, to cover Sproles. With Graham, they would just throw different guys on. It would be Sherman. It would be um, you know, Walter Thurman, you know, whomever they would run linebackers at him. I just think the breeze did not have enough time in certain formations to get a good look at Jimmy Graham. As you saw, they were trying to use Ben Watson and some other elements on, on some of the tight ends where, where Jimmy Graham was almost used as a, as a decoy. And some of the formations that, you know, the, the Saints ran, too, you know, Jimmy Graham doesn't come in a lot on, on running down. And that tips, you know, I think some defenses that the Seahawks played as well. So it was a mixture of things, the personnel more than anything, because Seattle has the athletes that can match up with someone special like Jimmy Graham. All right, so Seattle moves on. They're home this weekend. They get San Francisco. The other side of the bracket with San Francisco and Carolina. I can't say I was surprised at all. I felt like San Francisco might have been the hottest team going into this whole thing, and they just they just had their way, it seemed, with Carolina yesterday. Yeah, that, that was one with the physicality and the experience really showed up on San Francisco's behalf. I mean, look at some of the dumb penalties and dumb mistakes that Carolina made. Um, and then the goal line stand. I mean, that's just want to. That's just great players stepping up and making great plays. And Quan Bolden showing out like he did. That's why this, this is playoff football. The big time players, you know, show up. You know, you saw it in every game this weekend. Somebody stood up. Maybe it was the unsuspecting guy like Garrett Blunt in New England, or maybe it was a Marshawn Lynch, or it was an Anquan Bolden um, in the NFC games. And, and that was the difference right there. And I tell you, San Francisco going into Seattle. Yes, Seattle's really handed it to him the last two times there. Colin Kaepernick hasn't played well. 
But there's not going to be any element of surprise with the noise of the surroundings now for San Francisco. They know what to expect. Plus, the 49ers are playing so good on every side, and every facet of the game, I should say. Um, I think it's going to be really, really tough for Seattle right here. I mean, Marshawn Lynch has been kind of the, the anecdote to curb the 49ers when they play in Seattle, and I think that's what they're going to have to ride again. But, but again, the way that the 49ers are playing right now is, is pretty frightening. There's no doubt. You know, there's three words, Steve, that come to mind when I think about the Seahawks and the 49ers right now. Brash, nasty, and arrogant. Um, and, and probably that'll make for a fun matchup this weekend. But as far as the rest of the NFC fan base around the country, it, it seems like it's a really hard to get behind one of these teams to represent your side of the ledger going into Super Bowl Sunday, no matter who wins this game. Well, you got two teams in the NFC West, and you know, from from the New Orleans standpoint, you you see that they owned the NFC South. I mean, you know, all the, they they came in there and they handed it to this weekend, and I, I think you'll you'll see factions. Um, you know, the, the 49ers have that long-standing tradition. They've got all the rings. They've got a national following, so their fans will be there. But I think some folks wouldn't mind seeing the upstart. You know, and the two young quarterbacks also add tremendous intrigue. You know, because you're going to have on the NFC side a young quarterback get to the Super Bowl. And on the AFC side, you're going to have a future Hall of Famer get to the Super Bowl. The NFL has to be loving this, the way the storylines are playing out. And again, you have teams right now, if it's 15 degrees, in New Jersey, when the Super Bowl happens, that can come on and play great games. I mean, New England and Denver play in the cold. In San Francisco and Seattle, they can run the ball. We saw San Francisco go to Green Bay in that Arctic weather uh, last week and win. So everything is really setting up, kind of, as you said early on, the way it seemed like it was meant to be. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. Um, on the AFC side, other let me let me make it hard on you here. Other than Manning versus Brady, um, what is the conversation surrounding the AFC in your mind? Uh, wow. I mean, you know, I, I think it's, it's also you know, you're going to have some of the storylines, the Patriots kind of chameleon element, the fact that they, they're they running, they're pounding the ball, the defense is showing up versus the receiving core, the passing game for the Denver Broncos. Which style is going to win this ball game? Because... We saw the Patriots come back in a great, you know, rally earlier this season to beat the Denver Broncos in New England, and they you know, the last two weeks, well, Garrett Blunt has looked like, you know, has looked like Eric Dickerson or somebody out here. Um, so, is that running style? Is that going to be able to work in Denver? Um, if Peyton Manning, those guys are going to be able to score points because they're throwing the ball all over the place right now. I mean, Julius Thomas, Demarius Thomas, Eric Decker, Wes Welker, you know, they're looking great. So, this is one. Well, yeah, you have the great quarterback storyline, but styles make fights this time of the year. Mm-hmm. And which style in that type of game uh, is really going to is really going to come out on the, on the winning side? What about the head coaches? Two smart ones here: John Fox, Bill Belichick. My goodness. <laughs> yeah, you know Bill Belichick. I mean, how come he's not? There's not a lot more chat about him getting coach of the year. I mean, what he's done and had to go through with this team. Um, Injuries, the Aaron Hernandez situation, uh, it, it's just amazing, again, how they're able to morph into this type of team. And, team. and then John Fox, he, he's never got the credit um, that he deserves to be a good coach because now people are going to say, okay, well, he's got Peyton Manning. Anybody could coach Peyton Manning. 
you know, to the Super Bowl. But they've had some big losses, you know, on defense with injuries. I mean, losing Elvis Doomers on the offseason, that's, that's pretty serious business. He's one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. They lose Von Miller's suspension. Now the injury, their secondary champ, Bailey, has barely played all season. That defense has played well. And they've morphed when they've had to at times. You know, Sean Marino, guys like that stepping up. They didn't have Brian Clayton. They're, they're all pro left tackle all year. So two great coaches, two guys who do not accept excuses. They hold guys accountable. Um, two different styles. Foxy's kind of a, a player's coach in Belichick. We know what he's about. Um, but, again, the, the methods work, and that's why we're here. Steve Weiss of the NFL Network is here for you on the Black and Blue Report this Monday. All right, Steve, before I let you go, uh, in about three weeks, who is uh, playing who in uh, New Jersey? Yeah, I got Seattle and Denver. Um, I still think it's as great as the 49ers are playing. Um, I just think the takeaway factor. I think Seattle, they dropped two or three potential interceptions in this game. I think they'll probably grab some. That's going to hurt the 49ers. And I just think Denver, um, that offense, they're going to be able to put some points up on New England. They're playing at home. It's going to be huge for them. Steve, do you get to stay in the friendly confines of NFL Network Studios in Los Angeles this championship week, or are you out and about? No, I'll be back in the great Northwest. I'll be in the Century Link, and hopefully we won't be going through some of those monsoon-type uh, <laughs> rains that we had for that championship. I'll be up in Seattle again. Well, not, nice work all season long, and I appreciate your help here as well. I'll probably lean on you maybe as we get close to the, uh, the big game in New Jersey. So uh, stay dry. Anytime. All the best. And the 504, my favorite city on the NFL circuit. I appreciate that. And a tip of the cap to you and the NFL Network for all your help for us this this season. That's Steve Weiss of the NFL Network. He is a, a big fan, as you uh, just heard, of our fair city. And uh, we're a big fan of him, too. All right, the Black and Blue Report turns its attention to basketball here in just a moment. We'll visit with Pelicans uh, guard slash forward Darius Miller as we get ready for the Pelicans and Spurs tonight in just a moment. Your mission, win your share of up to $3 million in free play and prizes. M-Life presents License to Thrill, only at Beau Rivage. You could win a trip to London, even a new Mercedes E350. Drawings every Thursday and Saturday. Up to 800 winners. So play for the thrill. License to Thrill. You belong at the Beau. See M-Life desk for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-888-777-9696. NBA All-Star 2014 is coming to New Orleans with an exciting lineup. The BBVA Compass Rising Stars challenges your ticket to see the NBA's newest stars. On Friday, February 14th, the New Orleans Arena will play host as the rookies and sophomores team up to battle for bragging rights and make a name for themselves in the Big Easy. Tickets are on sale now through NBAevents.com for as low as $10. BBVA Compass Rising Stars Challenge. Your ticket to see the NBA's newest stars. It's Pelicans game day. This is the Black and Blue Report. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. We're getting ready for Pelicans and Spurs tonight. Thought we'd take a minute and visit with Darius Miller, who's coming off, I guess, probably arguably your best game of the year, wasn't it, in Dallas the other night? Uh, yeah, um, I had a lot of open opportunities. Um, I feel like my teammates did a great job of finding all the shooters when they were open. Uh, we just took advantage of it. When did you know that you were looking good? I mean, was it the first one that went in and you thought, I can get a couple more of these? Uh, yeah, yeah, they, they was uh, really helping down on the bigs. Like, you know, we have a uh, pretty good big, especially uh, pick and pop. So um, I got a lot of, like I said, a lot of open looks, and uh, it was, I was feeling good. So 
they went in. The opportunity was there the other night. I don't. I wouldn't say that you've had a lot of opportunities, whether it be with rotation or anything else. You're kind of a quiet guy. Have so I haven't really asked you about this. Have you been kind of chomping in the bit, hoping to get a chance like you had against Dallas? Um, definitely, definitely. And um, like you said, everything just worked out that day. And uh, I wish we could have got the win, but uh, it, it felt good to to actually get get in there and um, be able to help the team a little bit. You know, after you came back from injury, this being, you know, your second season now in the league, are you doing things differently this year as opposed to last as far as making yourself ready? Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, as far as just everything, off the court and on the court, um, I feel like preparation is, is really big, especially with how long the, the season is. And um, I just try to get my body and mind prepared every single every single day. And um, I feel like that's that helped me a lot. I wasn't ready for that last year, and um, knowing what to expect now is huge for me. Five straight losses. How hard is this right now for you guys? Um, it's tough. It's tough, especially knowing that we can um, we can be playing a lot better, especially we got a lot of guys out, a lot of uh, our key players, and uh, a lot of things that's been going on in the past game. But um, really, we're, we're just trying to fight right now, and um, we're trying to come out and play competitive basketball. What does Coach talk to you about in the last couple of days? Uh, maybe not just you individually, and if you want to share that, that's fine, but you guys collectively as far as um, a new group of guys having to step up here? Um, just competing. Just competing, coming out and playing as hard as possible. Uh, really talking about that's all we can really control is our attitude and our effort. So we just want to take care of those every single day. You're a young guy on a team full of young guys. But who who are you all looking to for leadership amongst this group? Um... We look, we look at a couple of guys. Uh, at, f- at first, um, well, not really at first still, but, um, you know, Ryan, he was a huge part of that, and um, he's, he's, he's kind of been missing here with the unfortunate incident that happened. But um, we look at him, and then Drew, he's still here with us, even though he's injured. So we looked at them, too. Really, a lot of guys, a lot of the older guys that's been through stuff before, um, they do, all do a great job of stepping up and being leaders. How do they lead? Are they vocal? Um, some of them. Ryan's more of the vocal leader, I think, and then Jason, too. And uh, Amo too. Um, those are probably the three most vocal. And then the other people, uh, they sh- they lead by example. They do a great job of coming out every single day, um, prepared every single day. And um, I think everybody feeds off of that. You know, you were a longtime guy at Kentucky. You you became the older guy in that program. Now you're a young guy in this program. Um, the difference being what? Um, I feel like there's a lot to learn in this league. I mean, there's a lot you have to, to, to be to know, to be prepared for. And um, I feel like the guys are doing a great job of showing all the young guys. Like you said, we have a really young team that not a lot of us has experienced what they've experienced, and um, they're doing a great job of teaching us. Any thoughts on San Antonio you can share with me tonight? Um, we just really got to be ready. Um, you know, they're a veteran team. They're really good, uh, always really good. And uh, we're just going to have to come out, like I said, control our attitude and effort. That's the main thing for us. How much college basketball have you been watching? Um, not a lot. I try to catch every Kentucky game that I can. That's about the only team, though. Um, I've tried to see uh, some of the, the younger guys that's got a lot of hype behind them, you know, maybe uh, like Jabari and Wiggins and all them guys. But um, really, I just watch Kentucky. That's about it. You know, with, with I was watching a little bit over the weekend because I had a little time for the first time in a while. <laughs> um, we're, we're at that point in the college season where it really becomes serious, doesn't oh, it, mid-January? Definitely, definitely. Um, you get to start playing your teams in your conference, going for that conference championship and getting ready for the tournament. So I feel like uh, it's going to be really big for our upcoming teams right now. Jay Billis was on ESPN the other day talking about how he believes that the college game is much better off because they've allowed for more freedom of movement for players. He was using all kinds of phrases that we've heard in the NBA for the last three or four years. It seems like there's an effort to make the college game more like the NBA game. Good thing? Bad thing? Um... 
I think it could be good. I think it definitely could be good. Uh, help people who's trying to get to the next level be prepared for what's coming in. Because um, I feel like it's, it's a, a totally different game in college. Like you said, the spacing is totally different. You'll see teams that will just stay in the zone and just camp out in the in the in the paint the whole game in college. But um, it's it's totally different here. You have a lot more space and stuff like that. And um, I think I think it could be good for kids. Now in your second season in the NBA, you like the 24 second shot clock or the 35 second shot clock? Um. I feel like they both have their advantages. I'm, I'm used to the 24 now, though. It seems like 30 seconds seems so long now. When I watch college games, it seems like they have the ball forever. So it's, it's, it's definitely different, but I'm, I'm definitely used to this one now. Here's to a great night tonight. Appreciate the visit. Thank you. Darius Miller with us here on the Black and Blue Report. We'll continue on this Monday as we get ready for a basketball game tonight at New Orleans Arena right after this timeout. As one Entergy customer to another, I have a tip for you. Download the free Entergy app. If my power goes out, I check the app. The outage maps let me know what's happening and when to expect my lights back on. It also makes it easy to pay my bill and manage my account, all right from my smartphone. Download the app today or visit EntergyApp.com for more information. Giving me control in the palm of my hand? That's the power of people. Entergy. Your New Orleans Pelicans take flight this Monday night, January 13th, when the San Antonio Spurs come to town. It's Aaron's All-Star Balloting Night at the arena, where the first 5,000 fans in attendance receive an All-Star poster, courtesy of Aaron's. Tip-offs at 7 p.m., and the Pelicans' best pregame block party gets underway at 5.30. Tickets start as low as $16 and are available by calling 525-HOOP or visiting pelicans.com today. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. Almost done here on this Monday, the Black and Blue Report. Sean Kelly here with you from the New Orleans Arena Studios. Anthony Davis spoke to the media earlier today. That was right after shoot-around as we continue our preparations tonight for Pelicans and Spurs. Davis, uh, another 2010 game for him on Saturday against the Dallas Mavericks. is trying to lead the way for a very shorthanded club right now. And uh, even with uh, Davis's youth himself, he says that the other young players who have been in support roles certainly can step up now with all these injuries. We got the guys who step stepping up. You know, Darius stepped up. You know, uh, just Dallas game. Uh, B. Rob's playing well. You know, Austin, Amo. So, guys are stepping up, and you know, that's what we need. You know, especially with all our guys down, we need guys to step up, and um, they're doing a great job so far. And of course, the Pelicans are taking on the best team in the West tonight, in the San Antonio Spurs, who beat up on Minnesota last night. Um, Here's what uh, Anthony Davis had to say about what the, the Pelicans must do defensively tonight against such a disciplined team like San Antonio. Try to keep Tony off the paint. You know, uh, do a great job. You know, limit Marco uh, three-point shooting. You know, I think he's like 50% for three or something crazy like that. You know, um, try to limit his threes. You know, uh, rebound and run. You know, just try to get up there and run. You know, we're a lot faster than most teams in the league. So, and a lot younger. So, we got to use that top end. 7 o'clock tip-off tonight. Pelicans and Spurs, it's the first of three at home this week, and we hope that we'll see you at New Orleans Arena. We'll have the broadcast tonight, of course, on the radio, starting at 7 on the New Orleans Pelicans Radio Network and on the television as well. Joel Myers, David Wesley, Jen Hale with Fox Sports New Orleans. Their pregame coverage starts at 6.30. Our thanks to John DeShazer today, Steve Weish, uh, and all the uh, folks who helped us gather up the sound from uh, Sean Payton, Malcolm Jenkins, 
Drew Brees and others, and certainly our special guest today, Darius Miller. We went one-on-one with him for the first time on Black and Blue Report today, and hopefully after a season-high 12 on Saturday, he can perhaps get into the double figures off the bench tonight for Monty Williams against the San Antonio Spurs. Tomorrow's program comes your way just after noon central. We'll start ramping up more basketball coverage this week as the Pelicans do play at home Wednesday against the Rockets and Saturday against the Warriors. And uh, for Daniel Salerson, I'm Sean Kelly. And we'll wrap it up here on this Monday on the Black and Blue Report. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Black and Blue Report. If all goes well, we'll be back tomorrow. Tune in each weekday at 12 p.m. or at your convenience exclusively online at NewOrleansSaints.com and Pelicans.com. Follow your teams direct from the source. The Black and Blue Report.